This is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm speaking with Mike Portnoy, the drummer from Dream Theater and about 150 other bands. <laughs> uh, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, obviously, with Dream Theater, you guys do not have three-minute songs. Is there a process that you use to memorize the incredible amount of music that you have to play? Uh, I have been blessed with an elephant's memory and the guys in my band hate me for that um i mean i for some reason i could probably sit down right now and play um any of the songs from my band rising power when i was in uh high school you know oh they're God. just kind of embedded in there in fact it's funny because on the last tour we, we did our 20th anniversary tour and we broke out um, the very first song we ever wrote together back in 85 and we brought it back you know for the 20th, the 20th anniversary and I literally sat down behind the kit and played the song without even having to go back and listen to the tapes. It was just kind of embedded in my brain. So uh, it, it makes those guys nuts. And, and I write different set lists for every show. And, you know, those guys are going like crazy trying to learn everything and rehearse it at soundcheck and program. And, and uh, you know, and I just kind of, you know, rattle them off the tip of my, off of my head and just they come out of my fingertips, no problem. So... I don't know why why that is, but it just is. You bring up something. You do the set lists, and I know you have a a thing about not doing the same show twice. Do you have a kind of process for coming up with your set lists? Yeah, it's a, it's a big tedious process. Uh, it's kind <laughs> of like solving the ultimate crossword puzzle. Um, and ev- each and every show has its own u- unique um, experience, and I do a lot of research for every single show. Uh, you know, for instance, if we're playing in Detroit, I will go back and look at all the previous set lists from the last two or three times we played in Detroit, and we'll we'll write a set list for that particular city that doesn't repeat anything from the previous couple of visits. Uh, and also, similarly, the other tale of the, the the other side of that that makes me nuts is if if there's a couple shows within driving distance, like for instance. For instance, tonight we're in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Last night we were in Washington, D.C., you know, which is about an hour and a half drive. So knowing that there's going to be a lot of repeat people at both shows, you know, I have to make each one of these sets different from each other. So it's it's a big, long, tedious process um, with a lot of research, and this is how I spend my days off on tour while the other guys are out sightseeing. <laughs> so now when one tour ends and a, a year later another tour begins, is it all right there for you? you? You don't have to brush up on the material like the other guys, then, right? I really don't. Like I was just saying, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to brag. It's just the way my my mind is. I have this elephant's memory that just retains, you know, every song I've been a part of. And and like you mentioned at the top, you know, kind of jokingly, I'm you know, I'm in a hundred different bands, and it's <laughs> funny. I you know, I retain all of it. Um, I remember in 2003, I did a Zeppelin tribute show which was about two and a half hours of Zeppelin music. And then a week later, I went and did Neil Morse's testimony tour, right. which was like a three-hour show. So I, I was at that point retaining like six hours of music, you know, just off the top of my head. And it's, it's I don't know how I do it, but for some reason it comes very natural to me. You've joked about this, I think, on your website, but do you think you have OCD? And, and does it help? Oh, I, I, I absolutely do. And... Uh, I think it helps in, in, in this case, you know, in the case of um, trying to have everything so organized and meticulously, um, you know, laid out and, and, you know, to pay attention to the set list and to try to do official bootlegs for the fans and, you know, just that attention to detail. 
uh, which could sometimes be incredibly maddening to somebody like my wife. Uh, in this case, I think it actually really benefits the fans. Now, you, you do so much in, in Dream Theater. You know, you write music, you write lyrics, you produce records, uh, you oversee the website. Let's see, what am I leaving out? You, you work Correct on... Correct the DVDs. You, you, right, you, and you work on merchandise. Uh, you know, didn't you get the memo that you're a drummer? <laughs> well, nobody told that to Phil Collins, and nobody told that to Lars Ulrich, so I figured, why should I pay attention either? <laughs> what possible holes do you see in your playing? I mean, you remind me of Hal Blaine, you know, you can sit down and just kind of make it all happen, and with authority and, and creativity, but what holes do you see in your playing? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's strange. Um, I think my playing is probably my weakest link, and it's what I'm most known for. Uh, you know, I think... Everything else I do for the band is my strength, and sometimes I think the drumming it just happens to be, you know, my my tool, you know, on stage. But really, when I'm in the studio, I'm concentrating on so many other aspects of the music. The drumming is the least of my my thoughts and concerns and focus. So I would say that's probably um, because I do spread myself so wide. Uh, you know, to so many different areas, I probably don't get to spend as much concentration and focus on the drums than if I was to just be the drummer. You know, if I was just the drummer, then I could probably sit around and practice all day. But being that I have to oversee everything else, you know, perhaps it takes away from my my growth behind the kit. But uh, I'm not complaining. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, humbled and flattered by all of the accolades I've had through the years, and, and it, it amazes me. It's still a big honor anytime I win a drummer award sure, or, yeah. you know, or somebody, you know, actually pays me a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> you are so widely imitated and have influenced so many drummers, but you yourself are in a lot of tribute bands. The Who, Rush, The Beatles. Why do you like to be in tribute bands? Well, a couple reasons. I mean, first and foremost, I'm always going to be a music fan. I'm a fan, first and foremost, and I love music so you know within dream theater we've paid tribute to so many bands we've done full album covers by you know floyd and yeah. deep purple and metallica and maiden and a lot of one-off covers you know everybody ranging from queen to journey so i mean i do i've spent a lot of time in dream theater paying tribute to bands but then like you mentioned i've had these tribute bands outside of dream theater and i guess that's mainly because you know some of my favorite fans of all time, like the Beatles and, and the Who, for instance, are two of my all-time favorite bands. Dream Theater doesn't really incorporate a lot of that influence, you right. know, so I, I can't really utilize my Beatles influence and love uh, in Dream Theater, so I felt the need to kind of go outside and, and do a couple of these these tribute projects, and it's just because I love, I love music, I love these bands, I love these artists, and... On a, on a selfish level, for me, I just love doing it because I'm getting to play the music I love and grew yeah. up with. But on the other level, you know, maybe it, maybe it will help kind of introduce a new generation of Dream Theater fans to maybe, you know, the older, more classic rock stuff that we grew up with. And of course, you know, you can hear that stuff on the radio and everybody knows the Beatles. But, you know, these projects, I like to go to a little deeper and, and, and go deeper into the Beatles catalog and sure. the Who catalog and the Zeppelin catalog and, you know maybe show, uh, you know, the, the younger kids, you know, the, the more deeper material that they don't hear on the radio. I, I think a, a lot of fans, if they uh, pulled it up on YouTube, would be amazed to see you play something like um, 
nowhere man, you know, uh, right. be, behind a, a, a five-piece kit, and do it seamlessly. So when you're, you're in a tribute band, how do you slip into the head of a Ringo Starr or a Keith Moon or a John Bonham? A bit of it has to do with the drum kit. You know, in each of these cases, Tama built me these replica drum kits. You yeah. know, I had a, a classic four-piece Ringo kit. I had the classic Song Remains the Same Bonham kit. And I had this, you know, wacky double bass, three matching toms and three crash cymbals Keith Moon kit. So when you get behind these kits that are so identifiable with the personalities and styles of these drummers, you can't help but turn into them. You know, when I did the Who tribute, I just felt completely possessed by the spirit of Keith Moon. You know, I couldn't help but play like him. And, and, and you know, same goes with the other drummers. You know, when I did the Moby Dick solo with the Zeppelin tribute, there wasn't a single bit of Mike Portnoy in that drum solo. It was all John Bonham. You know, these guys are my heroes, and and to be able to be them for a day or for a couple of days was a dream come true. That's what's amazing in a way, because when you're in these bands, you are the drummer in a very identifiable band, but you are also taking on the role of a very identifiable drummer, i.e. Ringo Starr. Yeah, what can I say? I mean, it, it, <laughs> you know, these guys are my heroes, and, it, you know, I, I used to dress up like Kiss for Halloween when I was a kid, and I used to dream about doing something like that and uh you know of course some of the credit goes to my partner in crime paul gilbert who joined me for all four of these yeah, yeah. he's he's as much of a music fan as i am you know he and i are very much kindred spirits in that respect where we have this vast musical background and knowledge and and really feel passionate about the bands we grew up with so he was just as much in character of jimmy page and alex lyson and 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 pete townsend and uh, what am I missing? And, you know, and George Harrison, as I was in, in the drum department. So it, it, it was just really was a lot of fun in all four cases. A reader named Tommy Flavin asks if there's any chance that you're going to come to Ireland soon. We would love to. Uh, the problem is we, um, you know, the continent of Europe and, and Great Britain, you know, the, the, those markets are very big. And there's so many places throughout Europe to play and throughout England to play that, we just can't possibly hit them all, so uh, we got to conserve our time and try to go wherever the best markets are. We haven't been to Ireland since 2000, and I remember it was a great show, so hopefully we can make it back on the next tour. A reader who goes by the name The Reformant asks, when you're coming up with a part in an unusual time signature, how do you approach the writing? It's all about the feel. We never try to say, hey, let's just write in as many op time signatures as possible and make it as complicated as possible it's gotta it's gotta feel right you know even if we're playing in five or nine or seven i i like to think that we always have something of a groove behind it and you know that the riffs actually are are hummable and make sense um so that's the most important thing at the end of the day duncan parsons wants to know if there's any chance of you and uh, bill buford doing something soon Probably not, but Bill is somebody who I absolutely love and admire, and, you know, we've done a few things together in the past. Um, uh, he and I did a, an interview together for Rhythm Magazine a few years ago and got together, and I got to, was able to pick his brain about, you know, all of the, uh, all of the eras he's been a part of, you know, with, with progressive rock. And, and he and I, uh, at, a, at a trade show maybe 10, 12 years ago, sat down behind two kits and traded and had a bit of a a drum duet, which was a lot of fun and something that I treasure in my uh, video uh, archives. 
But, uh, you know, what can I say? He's an amazing drummer, and, and I would probably ruin anything that he could be playing much better on. So uh, I'll leave that to him. Uh, I did just get a chance to cover um, Starless by King Crimson, which I think is one of the, the greatest songs ever written. I think it's just an, an absolute masterpiece, and I always wanted to cover it. And I just covered that with, uh, with Neil Morse for uh, the bonus disc of his upcoming album. Interesting you say that, because Duncan also wants to know, when you're working with Neil, and I'm trying to read this question right, how do you deal with Neil's Christian beliefs? Well, I, I respect them. Um, I'm not a Christian myself, but I surely respect Neil's um, beliefs and direction, and his and his. Uh, you know, he's got he's just such a positive influence on me personally. Even though I'm not a Christian, um, I could really feel his positive aura um, as a constant good influence on me when I'm around him, and uh, I totally support his beliefs and have a, a lot of respect for them. A reader named Funky Franz wants to know if there's a, a chance of another Liquid Tension album soon. Um, probably not studio, uh, although it would be a lot of fun, but right now there's no plans for it. But as as he or or she may know, you know, we are doing some live shows next month, which will be a lot of fun, and uh, we will be recording those. So uh, inevitably there will probably be a live release from that. And lastly, a reader named Mady asks a question that you probably can't really answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Who is better, John Petrucci or Paul Gilbert? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I can't answer it because uh, (laughs) my answer is there is no such thing as better. It's it's always favorites. You know, you always hear about that. Oh, Mike Portnoy versus Neil Peart or, (laughs) you know, this person versus that person. You know, music is not a contest. There's no better. It's just a matter of Everybody does different things and, and, you know, what appeals to you. Um, and John and Paul are both absolutely amazing guitar players, and I've been blessed to uh, have worked with both of them so extensively through the years. And uh, John is a great, great writing partner with me and, and musical creative partner with me that he and I have a very long relationship together. And then, you know, Paul, on the other hand, is somebody who I mentioned before I have a a real bonding connection with as a, a fan of so many great bands and he's got that really incredible um, vocabulary and, and knowledge of, of music that, that I so enthusiastically share with him but technically they're both absolute monsters. I have one last question for you but it's one of my own I notice in um, when you play the Beatles stuff you are really heavy on the ride now is mm-hmm. that because that's the way you hear it or that's because that's the way that you can get Ringo's splashy hi-hat. Uh, i got to be honest with you. I didn't give much thought to the actual drumming when I did the Beatles tribute. Um, I just played what was just naturally embedded in my brain. If I was to sit there and analyze what I played versus what you know the, the, the real Ringo recordings played, I probably wasn't that accurate. To be honest, I was just caught up in the overall vibe of the whole experience. In fact, we had two days rehearsal for Yellow Custard, and the first day rehearsal, uh, we were barely behind our instruments. The entire you know, first day of rehearsal was just breaking down the harmonies and the vocals oh and my. who was going to sing what. And then the second day, we actually got behind our instruments and played, and the playing part was just complete second nature. It was just embedded in the pore of our brains. You know, it was really, we were, the only thing that we had to really be consciously thought about was who was going to sing what, because we weren't breaking it down, you know, by... You know, it wasn't like 
Paul only sang George's parts and I only sang Ringo's parts. We kind of split everything up um, equally. So that was the only thing I really needed thinking about. Everything else just flowed naturally. And you did some great singing, too. It was fun. I mean, God, that was a fun experience. And uh, to be honest, I would love to do it again. And I wouldn't be surprised if a Yellow Matter Custard reunion happens in the coming years. Well, let's hope for it. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Mike, thank you very much for spending some time with me. My pleasure. It's, it's been great. And uh, this is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers. And I've been speaking with Mike Portnoy. Mike, again, thank you very much. No problem, man.